over time, we realize that all those things will happen as long as we have a strong, strong and committed team. And that's where we focused a lot of our efforts, people, culture, teamwork, yeah. nothing as, as, is, is as important as, 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 as this. Right. So that was like the, the first epiphany. Hey everyone, I'm Chris Ronzio, founder and CEO of Trainual, and this is Organized Chaos. On every normal episode, you hear me talk about building your playbook. Well, we actually have an event every year called Playbook over at Trainual, and this session is a clip from Playbook 2022. That's our annual event at Trainual, and it features some of the top business leaders in the world. So we've reformatted these sessions for the podcast so that you can enjoy them wherever you are totally free. This upcoming session is hosted by me. All right, everyone, welcome back for this one. I'm excited for this session. We're gonna be talking about creating frictionless sales and building operational success, which is really what we're all trying to do, right? As we improve our companies and scale our companies, we rely on operations that are tight and succinct and automated. And we're going to talk about that today with Makita Mikado. Uh, he is the CEO and co-founder of PandaDoc and a good friend. So I'm excited to chat. What's up, Makita? What's up, Chris? How are you doing? Great. Good to see you again. Likewise. Any uh, stand-up paddleboarding or anything this morning? I wish. Uh, <laughs> this week has been incredibly busy. And even though the surf looks beautiful today, um, I can't do it. <laughs> All right. Well, I'll try not to take too much of your time. I know you've got a crazy week, so thank you for being here. We're going to dig into operational excellence and how to streamline sales because a big part of what PandaDoc does is help companies with their sales operations. But before we get into all that, if someone hasn't heard of PandaDoc, can you give them just the quick overview of what the business is all about? Absolutely. Uh, Benadoc helps dozens of thousands of businesses globally to streamline their work with contracts, sales proposals, forms that got to be signed, and other transactional documents. We automate generation of those documents, uh, collaboration on them, signing, um, and even processing of payments uh, from within the docs. Uh, if you may. That's what we do. We've been at it for uh, about 10 years. Um, and it's been it's been a great journey. It's been a great trade. It's been an incredible journey. We're going to talk about how you've grown to the size that you're at today, which is is close to like a thousand employees, right? Um, we're at about 800 employees. That's 800, right. Yeah. That's, it's, uh, I, I round up to the nearest thousand. So you're basically a thousand, you know, I, yeah, I remember cool. when, when we first met, I showed you a screenshot of me being a customer of the company that preceded, uh, PandaDoc, which was called quote roller. And so I had a yeah. video production company at the time. I sent out all of my proposals with quote roller. I love the product. And I used to get individual emails just from you, like sending out monthly statements or answering the support tickets. And so can you take us back to those early days of quote roller when you started the business? Um, what was it like? My co-founder and I started what later became PandaDoc. Uh, 
out of Minsk, Belarus, which had, to our knowledge, no B2B SaaS startups and very few startups in general. Um, I was born and raised in Belarus, um, which many consider a third world country. And uh, uh, Sergey, my co-founder and I, uh, built websites and uh, small add-ons, small extensions for other web designers, which we were lucky to, to sell online. And therefore we had to do a lot of contracts, a lot of proposals uh, for all kinds of customizations and modifications of those little extensions. And one summer, Sergey, um, I went to the US uh, to meet with customers and, and Sergey was left with uh, dealing with those uh, contracts and proposals and he pulled his hair, hair out and uh, decided that there gotta be a better way. And that better way later transformed into PandaDoc. Uh, yeah, so the early days we bootstrapped, uh, we got to break even uh, prior to uh, raising any money. It was tough, man. It was very, uh, it was very difficult. Uh, both of us uh, did everything. Both of us had to hustle and. Uh, um, I mean, the entire team, uh, everyone, uh, all people mind support, all people uh, mind info at, at that time, quotroller.com uh, to fish for sales inquiries. <laughs> and yeah, and we made a lot of mistakes and we, uh, we, we, we put a lot of effort in, in so making this work. I don't know if we ever, if we've ever talked about this, but in the very early days of Trainual, you know, we transitioned from being a consulting consultancy. We had five employees. We were doing the work for other people, and then we saw the need, and we started building Trainual for ourselves. That was kind of a similar story to what you and Sergey were doing, right? What was that transition like from the old company into the software business? That was very painful. <laughs> uh, my co-founder and I, we. We see this shiny object, this new thing, uh, which was a SaaS product, a product that sort of sells and services itself. Uh, and that, uh, that vision, that idea compared to uh, the business we had at the time, the business we had at the time, we, we built extensions for third-party systems. Whenever those third-party systems updated uh, their code, our extensions stopped working. And uh, most of our clients were in the US, uh, Canada, Australia, which is uh, like, their working hours are our nighttime, right? I'm, were you not so in the middle of the basically? night? Yeah, like, yeah, <laughs> we got we got people calling, uh, yelling at us for those extensions, um, not working. And like we we were just in this like constant grind and uh under a lot of stress and pressure so yes we wanted to build something where we would not depend on any third parties um mm. in hindsight that was pretty naive i mean like the product that's going to sell service itself and then won't depend on any other uh third parties I, that's you know that's not feasible these days 
but yeah, we definitely made a made a leap. And as we had that vision and as we got this like new shiny object, the service business, uh, quite frankly, started to suffer uh, mm. because we were pulling resources out of it and we were uh, we were not focused there. And then um, we hired a CEO for that service business that kind of um, like did not work out, <laughs> to put it softly. And uh, like a year later, year and a half later, we ended up with uh, a startup that <laughs> the SaaS product that did not quite take off and service business sort of laying in ruins. That was a, it was a tough situation to be in. Um, we got out of it, but <laughs> that was, that was not a good time. I, I remember a mentor of mine. So, you know, when I had my first, my video company and I was excited about the consulting and then consulting and I'm excited about Trainual, I was trying to jump from thing to thing. And I thought, oh, I can be this like serial entrepreneur and focus on multiple things at once. And I had this mentor, his name is David Berg. And he told me, no, you're, it's kind of like you've got uh, little toddlers and you're just leaving them home alone. <laughs> like they're not mature enough to run as big sustainable businesses. And I think it's an interesting point for everyone listening here is where are you focusing in your company? Are you neglecting something in your business? And why is that? You know, and so for you, you must have seen that you're neglecting the service area of the business and that the future was in this SaaS thing that you were building. So did you eventually just shut down the services and make the leap or what got you out of that rut? we we were fortunate with with the management team um that service business because they they stepped up and they said look guys you're not participating rightfully so and and we worked together for at that time it was more than four years and like we were friends and they're like, why don't we buy this thing from you? Uh, we have no money now, but we're going to continue to work. And uh, with the course of the next four years, um, we'll, we'll buy it from you and we'll run it. Uh, so they did. Hmm. They succeeded. Uh, and, uh, you know, we sold it for very little money, but um, like in US, that would be laughable money. But the team stayed together and uh, they did really well. And a uh, few years back, uh, Sergey and I uh, partied at a, at, a, at a wedding of uh, the CEO of that um, services company who um, actually joined us as like while at, at, a, at a university and progressed through the ranks. And, and now she owns it and she runs it and she's killing it. So that was like, uh, it turned out to be a really, really good story, even though there were like ups and downs and that's great. Um, but yeah, it worked out. 
That's great. So we're we're filming right now inside uh, the offices of Design Pickle. I mentioned that during the opening, the if the company, good friends of ours. And I remember before I launched Trainual as a business, uh, I was doing my consulting. I actually tried to sell Trainual to Russ, the owner of Design Pickle. I was like, you know, I just, I can't do this. It's not what I want to do. And fortunately he said, no, I was also selling it for laughable money. Fortunately, he said no, because when he really focused on Design Pickle instead of all these other side projects, and I really focused on Trainual, that's when it both took off. So I think the lesson there is definitely focus. Now, when you dove in and you got rid of the services business and you were all in on growing at that time, quote roller, how, how big was the team? Was it just you and Sergey, or did you have other people you hired? We had uh, initially uh, two developers, uh, one of whom uh, to this date is with us wow um yeah hi andrew <laughs> um yeah we had two developers initially then slowly but surely more people joined uh many of the folks who joined us uh like 10 years ago are still with the company hmm. and um yeah first year was tough um we thought we're gonna build it and they'll come so we didn't really we didn't really talk to prospective customers to be frank like we thought we know better uh we thought we know what needs to be built and how it needs to be built and that was that was just foolish um a year later after draining all of our savings and uh launching a free product we we brought in some like three thousand signups into that product we were beyond excited we were super proud and uh um with we, we were sure it's going to take off we just need to build a billing system so that people can pay for it so we do that takes another couple of months launch billing and um, get about seven accounts out of 3,000 converting to paid at like nine bucks a month or so. <laughs> so you can buy lunch like once a month. Yeah, we're screwed. You know, we have no more money. And uh, there's like, uh, there'll be no revenue coming in anytime soon. Uh, so yeah, like not, researching the topic enough not talking to prospective customers uh was was a huge 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 mistake instead we were just you know having conversations around colors of buttons and uh, <laughs> this or that feature which in the in the grand schema of things made no difference yeah. we'll yeah so let's talk about the customer then, because you launched this while in Belarus, and I know you've got customers all over the world today, but what was your initial go-to-market? Was it the U.S. market? Was it Europe? Where were you focusing? It's global from the, from the get-go. Uh, back in the day, I had a very thick accent. Hmm. Um, so good luck trying to sell software. Uh, with a strong Russian accent, like you know, in Belarus, people mostly speak Russian. Uh, it, it's it's tough. 
uh, I was not good at sales and uh, uh, therefore we relied on inbound marketing, uh, search engine optimization, a little bit of paid marketing. Uh, we relied on those new channels and uh, we had to build our product uh, the way it can be consumed online. Um, we had no money to to hire uh, salespeople at the time. So yeah, we had to build a product the way it could be consumed online. Mm -hmm. And uh, uh, following that unsuccessful freemium launch, we rewired our brains and uh, <laughs> decided that, all right, got to talk to customers. We need to inject ourselves in that, that customer journey. We need to learn as much as we can uh, about their needs and challenges. And then we have to follow the lead. Yeah, vision is important. Like customers are not going to tell you everything, but that input is critical. Uh, that's what we did. What was the what was the initial hook that you were using in those ads or in your, you know, get, getting people to your website? What was the problem that you were solving at the very beginning? Because the product has expanded a lot since then. But how did it where did it start? Uh, the first document type that we've streamlined automated was uh, a sales proposal. Um, streamline your work with sales proposals, so I'd say that that's like the umbrella message that we used then and we still use now mm -hmm. and there are a lot of like sub categories or like sub you know sub pitches save time um generating proposals out of your crm or um convert more prospects into customers uh do a timely follow-up find out when those proposals are open follow up you know do a phone call uh, walk your customers through that proposal, yada, yada, yada. Make it easy for your customers to accept and sign on the deadline. So like, there, there are a lot of messages, right? Um, all the ones that I just uh, voiced uh, work and we utilize them through all those years. But yeah, but, uh, quickly we expanded beyond proposals uh, into other transactional documents and to uh, just a broader product footprint. Yeah, I remember in those early days, it was obvious to me that you understood the customer. So maybe I came in after you weren't paying attention to the, the customer. But when when I started using the product, you had this feature where you could choose variable options in the proposal and it would modify the price at the bottom of the proposal. And for me, in trying to give a, a client options, I didn't want them to send a proposal back and say, well, how about we do this, this and this? I wanted to give them all their choices and they picked the little radio buttons and then it get and then they agree to it and yours was the only tool that did that so to me that was like okay these people they they know what they're building that came through like this exact feature came through learning from customers yeah so very important to talk to customers and uh, of course anyone listening if you use our product please send all your thoughts our way because i want to hear from you all right so at some point you moved from belarus to silicon valley right what was that decision like how did it change the business 
Yeah, uh, it's one of the one of the big ones, right? Uh, at that time, I already had a family, and uh, um, it was like moving yourself across <laughs> uh, to the other side of the globe. It's it's quite a bit of a decision. Big risk, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So we bootstrapped at the time Quotroller. We learned that initially the product was built for web developers, web designers to automate their proposals. That's it, period. And that limited us uh, because we started uh, finding out that other businesses utilize Pandadoc, not just uh, web designers or webmasters. Mm -hmm. uh, they use us for contracts, they use us for forms, uh, MSAs, SOWs, NDAs, yada, 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 yada. Um, and it was clear at the time that we gotta we gotta go broader if we want to make it big and uh, we started talking to angel investors and uh, venture capitalists uh, learning from each one of those conversations for for a very long time those conversations um, did not result in any sort of investment <laughs> and uh at some point, uh, the MRR started picking up, and uh, I thought, okay, well, uh, we have a chance. Um, so we packed, I packed my family and uh, moved to San Francisco. So uh, you, you moved there before getting funding. You moved out there just because you thought the, the prospect of raising money would be easier if you were there? That happened in parallel okay i started working on a visa and moving in november december and uh, uh believe i moved in march and and we we were we were closing convertible notes february to may hmm. Uh, but you know those conversations were getting to a point where it was clear that we're going to be able to raise uh, raise money, which is necessary in the city where everything is so expensive. And yeah, it was a big big shift, big difference compared to to Belarus. But Sergey didn't move, right? He was still in Belarus. Yeah, he was there for another three four years. Uh, because at the time uh, we had a team in Belarus, um, but then yeah, he moved as well uh, to, to to be closer to customers and uh, the market. Got it. Okay, so you raised money, you started to expand the product. Um, it went from just simple proposals and focus on web developers into uh, all types of documents, and that expansion happened over several years, right? It wasn't just a quick pivot this was something you're kind of constantly expanding um transition from quotroller to pandadoc that i mean we changed the brand we launched a new product um, i think we moved our last quotroller customer onto pandadoc 
2022, actually. What? So, yeah. I could have still had an while. account all this time. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah I didn't it, know it that. Took a, it took a while. It took a while. Um, but yeah, it's been a it's been a long journey um, in terms of the like movement of customers. But once we launched PandaDoc, it, it started to scale a lot faster, yeah. and uh, it's it's an overall better product for right. whatever you were able to do uh, in our previous sell. So let's get into the product then. I know you're big into automated workflows with PandaDoc. And so just from your point of view, with all the customers you have, which are the administrative areas of most businesses that you think are just outdated, really manual, and most in need of the automation you provide? And I'm asking this so that everyone that's listening can think about how they do these things and whether they could use more automation. Absolutely. Well. Um... Let's look at the core of what we do. Uh, contracts and uh, proposals and quotes. Um, if you are using Word for uh, contracts and proposals that you send out repeatedly, then likely your sales team um, loses a lot of time. Why not to build a library of templates that can be pre-populated with customer data and automatically generated out of your CRM, ERP, or whatever system or record that, that you utilize. Um, sales reps are exposed to Word. In some cases, terms change, uh, numbers change, and that might expose uh, businesses to liability. Uh, and then you send that document out and then what, like, how do you know whether it gets open? How do you know whether prospects care? Um, how do you make it easy for the prospects to act on those documents, fill them out, then get the data back into your system or record of record, be that CRM or ERP? Uh, well, that workflow for the most part, like we do have a lot of competitors, but the market we're in is still, still, still largely dominated by just manual workflows. Um, yeah, so that whole workflow is just very, very manual. And then, I don't, I don't without going into like Pindadox extensions, like, I don't know, let's say electronic notarization. Um, we have that and compare that to uh, inviting a notary to your office and like scheduling, uh, scheduling a time to get something signed and notarized and so on and so forth. That is just uh, day and night in terms of the efficiency of using software. Yeah. So like this is I, I feel like I'm bitching and I am, <laughs> but yeah. Well, I, I remember. So when I was consulting and I was in uh, all these different businesses, it blew my mind how much of the document workflows were still so manual. And that was, you know, five, six, seven years ago. And today it's still that way for a lot of companies. And so the process you're describing of drawing out a proposal 
for a service business, a product business, a quote, a, uh, a purchase order, whatever it is, you, you fill out a document and then you send it to somebody for them to go kick around internally and have meetings about. And then hopefully they wanna move forward and, and you, have, you get their information in there. And then you retrieve that document, you send it to your accounting people, you maybe have to issue now a, a, an invoice to them. They're all these back and forth uh, document that the transactional experiences that can suck up so many hours in your work week that if you can just automate those processes where it's a template, you click on the template, you fill in three fields, you put in the client's email address and you fire it off. And then on your phone, you get a notification when they've opened it, a notification when they've viewed it four times, uh, analytics on the page that they're looking at for the pricing that they may be most concerned about. And then all that data comes back into your CRM. Like it saves so much time. It can actually save full salary roles. And so I, I, I'm encouraging, forcing, begging everybody that's listening to please just think about these processes in your business. Because if you still have people that are manually filling out documents, and we have tons of documents. It could be a stock option agreements. It could be non-disclosure agreements. It could be job offers. There's all these things that you send out. How can you be doing those electronically? So I apologize for the uh, the rant, the soapbox there, but I want to drive that point home that this is low hanging fruit for a lot of businesses to, to automate. Just like training, right? Just like training, that too. But I, I won't get into that one. So what causes do you think the most friction in the sales process? If you've got millions of these transactions happening, where do you think people get hung up? What causes bad proposals or things that deals that don't get done? Uh, I put um, I put follow through and follow up and follow through at the top of that list. Uh, we work with thousands of small to mid-sized businesses and. Uh, with volume at play and actually even in in the app market scenarios too uh timely follow-up and a robust follow-through are the key um so again uh, whatever is like highlighted within that pitch that offering that quote proposal you name it contract uh it, it, it needs to be acted on, right? And um, it needs to happen, be that a sales plan or, um, and then a timely follow-up, right? Um, especially in the velocity environments where uh, prospects are looking to make a purchase and have done all of their research prior. I mean, more and more so, uh, like, prospects find themselves further down the funnel by the time they talk to sales. Um, there's so much information available online, right? Like people do their research. There are now those review marketplaces. You can learn about a uh, service provider or, or a product company so much online now that like by the time you talk to sales, you're not just like you, you may not just be qualified like you're overqualified right mm -hmm. so um so yeah so like timely follow-up and then timely follow-through 
and <laughs> robust follow through, proper follow through. I think those two are uh, the key. Yeah, I think I think that's a good point. You know, when customers find us online and when they come to you, sometimes they just want to buy. They just want to give you money or they've got like one or two questions and they want to close the deal. And if you're not immediately available to answer those questions or if you don't make it easy to get a price or to get a demo or to purchase from you, then they're just going to find somewhere else to buy from. And so part of this idea of frictionless sales is why is it so hard to buy from some companies? You know, like if, if you're showing up with, with your wallet out and you want to make a purchase, let someone just buy, make it easy. Yeah. Um, I remember we had a, a, a conversation early on in, in Trainual about, you know, people couldn't buy before their trial was up. And it was like, we hadn't really thought about that. You know, you thought you go into a free trial at the end of the trial, then we'll ask you to buy. But some people were just like, yeah, yeah, I'm convinced I'm in. I'm like, let's go. And we didn't have a way for people to do that. And so I'd encourage everyone again, think about where do people get stuck just wanting to buy from you and how can you make that easier? Makita on LinkedIn, it said uh, on uh, your about page that uh, PandaDoc helps get your customers a 28% increase in close rate and an 18% increase in average sale price. And I thought those two stats were really interesting that you're helping people close deals better than without the software and you're helping them actually increase price. So can you talk about how you're driving those massive movements? What, what is it that you're doing? Well, let's start with the closing deals faster. Um, point one, sales reps spend less time on dealing with documents. That saves them time to sell. Uh, point two, uh, they can follow up timely. They know when the proposals or contracts are open, they can call and have a conversation, walk customers through uh, the documents and uh, uh, pursue customers to sign as they do that. Um, that shrinks the sales cycle. Uh, point three, uh, documents within PandaDoc are dynamic. You can have check boxes and uh, uh, enter quantities, and that's going to update the pricing tables and so on and so forth. Therefore, as the reps uh, walk customers through those documents, they can sell and upsell, cross-sell additional products and services, um, which increases the average deal size, right? So that's those are some of the points. We have more. Um, I'm sure that's how we help to both speed things up as well as also uh, increase, um, increase the average deal size. So when you think about those metrics that you're moving for your customers, how big a factor is that in your strategic planning for your company? Like, are you trying to drive those almost as if they're your own internal KPIs, you know, like move those metrics of how much you're helping your customers? Uh, as a company, we have like a tree of different, uh, different metrics and you know to be frank with you chris customer value metrics are not at the top of that tree and as you asked me that question i'm like huh that's not right <laughs> it's not right like come 2023 
gotta rearrange some things. Glad I could help. Well, like you'll have to update Thank me on, on what changes. All right. So last time we were together, we were talking about freemium. And I know this is a big change that you experimented with early on, it sounds like, but you brought it back in, in 2020. And so can you talk a little bit about the change that you made when COVID first hit? Absolutely. Um, we launched our first product as a free product and failed and instead moved to a 14 days trial. The believe that it should be easy to buy our product and service, like that belief didn't go anywhere, but um, sort of making it free and then um, converting people over to some people over to paid, that we just um, uh, took off the table. Um, and then uh, 2020 happened in March, uh, we've seen a fall in the markets, uh, everyone was freaking out, we all thought, well, what's going to happen, COVID is here, it's deadly, and uh, what is everyone going to do? Uh, and uh, there was like, there was a wave of companies trying to do something for the community. And we, we thought to, you know, paddle out and, and try to ride that wave, uh, try to do something meaningful. And uh, we launched a free e-signature software so that businesses, people can sign documents uh, somehow securely and um, safely, <laughs> safely, most important, COVID. Um, so we did that as a more of a like goodwill uh, type of move. And uh, we did that fast, launched it in April. And uh, it was there was a massive concern internally that we'll um, sort of jeopardize our revenue, right? Um, but that didn't happen. Uh, that didn't really happen. Yeah, we, you know, we might have lost some percentage points or but then uh that created a bit of a halo effect and uh we we kept the free e-signature solution uh signing documents with PandaDocs free if you if you, all you need is to sign a contract or whatever common aid uh the door is open anytime any number of users it's it's free uh, yeah, so we kept it, right? We kept it and uh, we later benefited from a number of those businesses that uh, needed more than just sign documents that needed to manage contracts, that needed to integrate contracts with their CRMs and so on and so forth. Yeah, it's it's it, it was very timely. It was a great move. And obviously you couldn't have predicted where the world was going, but you were nimble enough to make a, a pivot when you needed to. And I think that that's really admirable. So today, uh, like I said, I, I, I round up to a thousand, you said 800 employees, it's somewhere in there. Um, massive success. Would you see, would you say that the, the freemium move has been a big driver of that? Or is there something else that's helped you execute year after year and, and actually accelerate your growth? as a company of this size? Uh, freemium helped. However, 
I would attribute our success in business to three categories of like three things that my co-founder and I had <laughs> sort of epiphanies about. Uh, the first one was that we uh, run a software business. Software businesses are people businesses. And early on, you know, we thought, well, we just need to discover this like key feature, killer feature or uh, niche or find that superstar investor or executive or you name it, right? But then over time, we realized that all those things will happen as long as we have a strong, uh, strong and committed team. And that's where we focused a lot of our efforts, a lot of our efforts, uh, people, culture, um, teamwork. Yeah. yeah. Nothing as, as, is, is as important as, 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 as this. Right. So that was like the, the first epiphany. The second epiphany uh, was that, okay, well, um, we have great people, uh, bright individuals uh, that are, that have a passion, that want to make a positive impact, that want to learn. But um, it felt at some point of time that like the business is in sort of disarray, that everyone is moving in a different direction. So uh, the, the epiphany we had is that not only great people, it's like one of the paramount key um, elements of success, but, but also ensuring that the team has a common context, uh, has the same context. So people and context, those, those two are, are really important. And it's, you know, it's my job, it's my co-founder's job, it's the uh, executive's team job to set that common ground, that, that joint context. Everyone's gonna have their own ideas, opinions. We have to disagree uh, in order to like have the best ideas you know, flourish and, and, and uh, be implemented. But, but there are certain areas where we need to like, be aligned. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, and we got to work and, and uh, starting with like, this document that we call the culture code, you can Google it up, it's an open access uh, Pentadox culture code, uh, all the way to vision and data and, um, and strategy, uh, OKRs, yada, 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 all those, all those things, we just made them completely transparent so that we all have- Same context. Same context yeah. and uh, uh, we invested a great deal of time and, and, and efforts to just like build those artifacts and make sure that, you know, every presentation in Pandadoc starts with our mission, vision, and values, North Star. Um, and we, yeah, we, we kept at it. So, yeah. And then the third one was people with context. The third one was a Rickman rigor. <gasps> Uh, cause like, okay, we got great people that have the same context. 
how do we set things in motion? How do we start running? How do we start uh, executing? Uh, and that was uh, that was the third epiphany that we need to have a, uh, a written rigor. We got to be running. We have to be achieving, executing. <laughs> I love the running throwback to our kickoff session this morning with the uh, Olympian uh, Allison Felix. So, Makita, we've got to end there. We got to get everybody to lunch. But thank you so much for the uh, the wisdom. I appreciate you spending the time with us. It's my pleasure, Chris. Thank you for having me. Hey, thanks for listening to Organized Chaos. If you like this episode, be sure to subscribe, leave a review, or share it with anyone in your network that you think could benefit from this information. For episode show notes, podcast recaps, and tons of other small business news and inspiration, check out the manual. That's trainual.com backslash manual.